Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Conservative Caucus is expected to vote today on giving themselves the power to potentially oust their leader. By not having an opportunity to otherwise review his leadership until the next scheduled convention, which is more than two years away, um, it is not ample time uh, considering the results of the last election. Military nurses are in place in Alberta, ready to help in hospitals strained by COVID. It must sting for Jason Kenney to be asking the federal government for help when, you know, he was going to be the leading anti-Trudeau premier. But that's a sign of just how much COVID has has changed everyone's fate. And Canada moves to formally begin negotiations with the U.S over the fate of Line 5. It appears that the Enbridge mediation talks with Line 5 and Governor Whitmer from Michigan are not going well. And so the Canadian government has stepped up and has invoked the 1977 treaty. I'm happy to see the federal government make it clear that the Enbridge Line 5 is an essential service that impacts thousands of jobs in Sarnia-Lambton, not to mention Ontario, Quebec, and in very many of the United States of America. It's Tuesday, October 5th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Mark. So the Conservative Caucus is meeting today, and the the first question, of course, is whether they will invoke this, this uh, measure that is available to them that would give them the power to potentially remove the leader of the party. This is um, a result of, of Michael Chong's bill that came into effect a few years ago. And basically every caucus has this opportunity if they give it to themselves, right? Right. Yeah. So it's a two-stage process. It's not voting to remove the leader. First, they're going to ask themselves whether they should have that power. And, and as you say, then they'll, at some point down the road, they will choose whether to invoke that power. Uh, or when and how to. So my uh, colleague, Stephanie Levitt's done a lot of work on this and been talking to people. It looks like it may, they they probably will give themselves the power to do that. And why wouldn't they, you know? Yeah. But there's a big distance between giving themselves the power and exercising it. So, yeah, there's there's much debate right now. A conservative senator, Michael McDonald, has said uh, in an email to caucus that was circulated yesterday among some media outlets, saying that uh, that he thinks that they should dump O'Toole or that uh, that it's time for him to go. Certainly, those voices are there in caucus. Not a lot of people are putting names to them yet, but it does seem, just from my reading of it at a distance, even that the overwhelming or the the prevailing sentiment in caucus is, look, let's just calm down and not have more leadership strife. You know, they had two years of it uh, since Andrew Scheer left. They had more of it since then. It's entirely possible an election may come along at some point. Do the Conservatives want to spend the next two years or a year even involved in, in leadership squabbles? So, but there's also the difference between MPs and Conservative members as a whole. And O'Toole would face a leadership review in 2023 when the convention next meets. Do, should they move up that convention and have a leadership review among the members? Are the members the same thing as the Conservative caucus now? We've seen that, that the party actually has 
sort of three elements to it. It has its voters, it has it, it has its base, and then it has the voters they want, and then it has the uh, the caucus. So O'Toole somehow has to appeal to these these three groups: the people they want to get voting for them, the people who did vote for them. And then the members of parliament who got voted on, on, in on, based on various views of conservatism. So I don't think anybody envies O'Toole at the moment. Those are, uh, we saw him during the election campaign struggling to be different things to different segments of the conservative, um, voter base. And I think we'll see a little bit of that when uh, the caucus meets today. He'd lo- I'd love to be a fly on the wall yeah. in that caucus meeting. Yeah, re- regardless of of where Aaron O'Toole's leadership goes in the coming months, um, uh, it, it'll. I'm curious to know kind of what happens in that meeting. What's uh, is the is the focus on? Okay, where do we go from here? Or is the focus on who's accountable for for what went wrong in the election? Yeah, that's a really good point. It, it, it all, there will be some forward looking, but some backward looking too, and. We've got to assume that somebody like uh, a Pierre Polyev, who we keep hearing, has leadership aspirations. He'll be in that caucus meeting. Are there others in that caucus who are saying, now, okay, give me a crack at this. That's going to be a whole other story. And, and O'Toole's got to ask himself, you know, should we get these votes over with sooner rather than later so that we can get on with this? Or you and I and others going to be talking every week about the Conservative caucus meeting as a jumping off point for discussions yeah. of challenges to his leadership. We saw what that did to the Liberal Party back a decade or so ago when uh, when all the talk is about leadership. You don't get a whole lot done. Yeah. And and so just quickly, Susan, before we move on to other things, um, you, on balance, you think right now Aaron O'Toole can survive as as Conservative leader, at least for the next little while? Yes, that's based on what I'm reading and hearing from colleagues who are talking to people, not my own yeah. conversations. But yes, I, I I would say on balance, it looks like he's okay for now. Okay. All right, let's turn to a couple of other stories. Um, there, there's an, an interesting story ab- about Canada invoking a treaty from 1977 with the United States, which would automatically uh, cause government-to-government negotiations over Line 5, which is the petroleum pipeline uh, that is facing the prospect of being shut down by the state of Michigan. Um, and I, I find this interesting. Obviously, there's there's a lot here in terms of the technical elements of it, the, the energy reality of it. But there's also kind of an interesting story here about just Canada-U.S. relations, isn't there? Yeah, and you know we have there has been this uh, repeated conversation ever since you know early into Biden's presidency of is it delivering for the Trudeau government what one would have hoped and expected after four years of Donald Trump? I think what Canada and, and was looking forward to was was the idea that they had a friend in the White House again. Some of the talk about that, and some about the talk about whether. Uh, sort of the grumbling about it, was a bit alleviated by the release of two Michaels. You know, we saw that that behind the scenes, Joe Biden actually was acting as a friend to Canada. Uh, so some of that died down or, or was at least quieted for a bit. But now we're um, this Line 5 
uh, conversation is huge. Now that the, the two Michaels have been released, we are now having conversations with the United States on matters such as this, Line 5, that are going to test to see, again, whether uh, having a Democrat in the White House is good for Canada or not. Um, Joe Biden and, and Trudeau will be meeting soon, uh, we think, in Glasgow at the, uh, the summit. There's going to be lots and lots of conversations around uh, climate change and the environment. The oil spill out on the, uh, the west coast of the United States makes this, again, a more complicated conversation. Uh, part of the, uh, the opposition to Line 5 is the worry about what it's been doing to the environment there in Michigan. So um, it, it, is, it is a massively complicated conversation. And we are seeing now that just because... A friend of Trudeau's is in the White House doesn't mean that we have a friend of Canada's in the White House. Hmm. All right, let's talk about the situation with COVID, particularly in Alberta, where the federal government has sent uh, some military personnel, nurses and medical personnel to help out in the province. Uh, It's interesting that uh, there's a, a poll out recently that shows Jason Kenney's leadership in Alberta uh, is is not popular. Uh, 77% disapprove of his leadership, 61% of which strongly disapprove. Only 22% say they approve of the premier. Um, so just give us your sense of what's happening in Alberta and how much it must sting Jason Kenney to rely on the federal government's help in this. Uh, this is, uh, you know, in my conversations with people after the election, after people get over talking about the election, the biggest thing they do want to talk about is what went wrong for Jason Kenney? And is his political career recoverable? It is, uh, it, it really is a mystery how um, s- such a well-regarded federal cabinet minister has become, uh, you know, COVID is is part of it, but his problems were uh, were simmering before then as well, and it it may be that you know uh, that given the disaster that is COVID in that province, which people are putting at the feet of Jason Kenney, and the same situation in Saskatchewan to a lesser extent, um, has made uh, is turning Jason Kenney almost into a lame duck kind of premier. And we've come such a far, long way from when we saw that Jason Kenney was going to be the leader of this resistance to the federal government. We are expecting soon that the prime minister is going to be convening a first minister's meeting of some kind, whether it's virtual, you know, the, the phone kind that he had dozens of during COVID. But I I would imagine the prime minister is, is soon going to be gathering the premiers. And the changing face of that uh, of that first minister's group and and the the weakening of Jason Kenney puts a, a a wild card into the whole dynamic of federal provincial relations right now. You're right; it must sting for Jason Kenney to be asking the federal government for help when you know he was going to be the leading anti-Trudeau premier. But that's a sign of just how much COVID has has changed everyone's fate. Yeah, more so than an election. Yeah, very true. All right, Susan, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us once again this week. Thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At ctvnews.ca, Don Martin argues on a National Day of Indigenous Reflection, 
The Prime Minister sees only his own. Martin writes, It was challenging enough to motivate people to mark a National Day for Truth and Reconciliation as anything more than another federal holiday most Canadians didn't get. To many Canadians, it seemed like something to shrug off, just like their Prime Minister. His behaviour on what should have been a solemn day of healing cannot be reconciled with conduct becoming of Canada's Prime Minister. In the Toronto Star, Jeff Wielden argues member-led structure is the reason for the Green Party's dysfunction. Wielden writes, The Green Party is a grassroots party by choice. But what happens when the grassroots are patchy or dormant? Without an active base, a grassroots party is vulnerable to being influenced by anyone seeking a platform. The party has repeatedly struggled to compete without compromising its principles. What does that say about our political climate? Whoever takes up the mantle of leadership next must remember that this is a member-led party. Their first task must be to remind the members of that. Democracy is community in action. At Policy Options, André Blais and Jean-François Daou consider a better way to hold leaders' debates. They write, The main objective of the leaders' debate should be to help the least informed citizens learn some basic facts about the previous government, what the various parties promised to do if they form the next government, and the personal qualities and shortcomings of the leaders. The best way to achieve this is a mixture of solo presentations and two-person debates. Leaders' debates should be centered around the leaders. The priority should be to let them tell us why we should vote for them. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will be in private meetings in Ottawa. As we mentioned, the Conservative Caucus meets today in Ottawa, and Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will unveil his shadow cabinet. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, October the 5th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.